Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Mike Lynch. What's going on? This is Rashad. This is the Sports Sunday Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. It is now brought to you on the fan by your local Les Schwab Tire Centers. Doing the right thing since 1952. Weekend sports with a difference. So I thought it'd be fun if we all went around and said our name and a little something about ourselves. I'll start. A look at the weekend in sports with the inside story on the Blazers, the Ducks, and the Beavers. Turn down for what? This is Sports Sunday with Mike Lynch. At least I have my own bed. Your bed is a car. Yeah, but it's a sweet car. And Rashad Taylor. Will you stop your damn sniveling, son? Buck up, Bart. On ESPN Sports Radio 1080, The Fan. Well, I wish I could say that to Rashad right now. Stop your damn sniveling, son. Buck up, Bart, buck up. But for the second straight week, he is down with now what is being claimed as tonsillitis. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. What was last week in 102 fever. Now, I believe Rashad when he says that he is sick. But two weeks in a row is quite convenient. It is quite convenient. You know, it snowed a little bit this morning. And we had like a dusting by my house this morning. And maybe he was a little afraid to drive. He always talks a big game with the snow. But I don't know. Maybe he was a little afraid. Maybe he was a little bit scared of the of the no ice on the roads. I <laughs> Or he was preparing for tomorrow's inevitable one to nine inches that's predicted. <laughs> that, that could be the case. He's got to go out and get himself some chains this morning. He's got to get kale. That's what he's got to do. He's got to get the kale before all the kale goes away and also just bread and milk. That's his meals for the next couple of days. Bread, milk, and kale. It's going to be delicious. Kale sandwiches, baby. Yeah, or kale casserole, maybe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you got mm-hmm. some stuff left over in your house. You could make that. Yeah, that'd yeah be, for sure. That'd be absolutely disgusting. I mean, you, but, you know, bread sandwich, glass of milk, a little bit of dunking action. God, <laughs> I could not think of anything that sounds less appetizing right now than kale between bread and dunking it in milk. Is that worse than a, one of those kale smoothies? Yeah, I would think so. Because that's like liquid kale. Well, I know, but people make that to taste good. You don't put kale between bread and dunk it in milk. No one does that unless you. that's all you buy at the supermarket before a snowstorm. So, yeah, Rashad is out again today. He says he has tonsillitis. I, I do believe him, um, which means he probably just can't talk, which, you know, swollen throat, large tonsils, tough to talk, really painful. So hopefully, said this last week, Hopefully he'll be back next week, and uh, we can get back to doing the uh, the all three of us show, uh, like we do enjoy doing in Sports Sunday when we have the freedom to talk about all sports, not just football. And uh, we do have a lot of all sports coming up on the show today, and I want to talk about Nurk and Turk. The Twin Towers, as Jesse said before the show, has been quite fun for the first couple of games against Brooklyn and Philly. And I want to kind of dive into that a little bit and, and what it might mean for the playoffs because Damian Lillard did not play particularly well in either game, and the Blazers still won both games against two good teams. Comfortably. Too. Comfortably. So we'll be talking about that. I kind of want to get a little bit into the NBA playoff picture as well. We haven't really had a chance to look at that on this show yet, and it's something that at this point in the season when there's a little over 20 games to go, it's it's starting to matter now. And after watching the Sixers yesterday, albeit without Joel Embiid, 
I'm a little bit curious about the East as well. So I want to talk about that. Uh, is Antonio Brown worth the headache? I'm very intrigued by this because I have a pretty steadfast opinion on this, and I have a feeling some other people might not agree. So I kind of want to dissect whether or not you think he's worth it. Feel free to text the better you today. Text line 55305 for that and anything else throughout the show. We've got hate it or love it at 1030. I want to discuss the Pac-12 had an interesting article in 538.com a couple of days ago. And the headline is the Pac-12 is in shambles. The subheadline is at least in basketball and football. And we've talked a little bit about this on the show already, but it came with some pretty interesting nuggets uh, just looking at both basketball and football for the two conferences. And I just, I don't, I'm struggling to understand why it happened so quickly because it's just a couple of years ago, both conferences were doing well, both in football and basketball. And it literally collapsed in basically two years. So we'll talk about that as well. So that's all coming up on the show today. We're with you till 11 o'clock. Again, the better you today text lines, 55305. I'm at Mike Lynch 27 on Twitter. Jesse's at Jesse Osmond, A-S-Z-M-A-N. Station's at 1080 The Fan. And Rashad, if you want to make fun of him for his tonsillitis, is at TaylorMade503 on Twitter. And uh, before we get into all that, though, it's going to snowpocalypse again. Again, at the end of February. <laughs> Um, no, I'm kidding. We don't know how much it's going to snow there. They, I'm not, I was not exaggerating. They said anywhere from one to eight inches, which is the largest span of all time I've ever seen in a forecast for snow. They're really making sure they get it right this time by giving you the largest range of snow possible that could be hitting us tomorrow. It's supposed to be basically from early tomorrow morning. And by early, I mean tonight, like 3 a.m. And they said it could last all Monday where it's just going to snow constantly the entire day. Uh, and that it might accumulate, it might be warm enough that it doesn't. We're not really sure. It's kind of a crapshoot. And I just hope that we learned from last time and don't freak out again. Because if it snows, it snows. And then it'll melt. And then we'll be okay. That's what that's what, that's what I'm hoping for. Because last time was a mess. And some places were bad. Camas was bad. Eastern Portland was bad. But... I mean, where I, where I live, we got zero inches, and a lot of places didn't get a lot of snow. So hopefully we, we kind of calm down a little bit. I don't, I don't want this big overreaction again. <laughs> um, no, it's, it, you know, it's the, the ice that I more worry about. Although, I mean, the, the biggest thing is I'm, we here in Oregon, either you have a Subaru and you're fine. <laughs> yes. Or, you know, you have one of those, uh, a, a, a brand that just one of their models has all-wheel drive. Or you have something like, I don't know, a Mustang or something, and it can't drive in the snow because mm, it barely drives in the rain. You used to have a Mustang. I, you, I still do. You loved that car, but you hated that car, didn't you? It, yeah, I, well, I still have it. It's just. So you still love and hate it at the same time. Yes. Um, you'll see it <laughs> soon, actually. I think you're going you're gonna to start seeing it again soon. Okay. But, uh, it, I, I drove it literally into the ground, and I had to re, I have to resurrect it. That, that poses an interesting question to me. And is there is there a car that is more beloved but gives more headaches than a Mustang? Because I've heard a lot of stories from a lot of people who own Mustangs who have nothing but problems with them, but they love them because they look cool and they drive fast and they're, they're cool cars to own. I had a friend once who literally went through three Mustangs in three years because they just kept crapping out on him. I, well, so most of my problems, uh, so I have had issues with the Mustangs, but they haven't been, they haven't been things that were 
Ford problems per se. Um, yeah. like well, I'm, not, I'm not blaming the company. I'm no, just saying, is it the car specifically? No, like like this. Like I literally just drove it in the ground. If I drove any car this way, it would have just been driven into the ground. Like any, you know, brakes, rotors, uh, shocks, struts, all the way around. New new e brake, like windshield. Are you, like, are you racing it? Is it? Are you just like going out to the yeah, PIL or not I, PIL? The drive. I drive a raceway. lot of twisties, you know, on the way to work. I, yeah. I, I like the roads that I take to work um, during the week are very twisty, and so oh, so you enjoy the uh, the ability it, to take those quickly. Yes, mm. yes, and I have definitely had a couple people put their heads in between the legs a couple times in that car. <laughs> so, look, I. I am known as a fast driver on the station, and I, I will not deny it. I do drive fast, but I've never had anyone put their head between their legs when I was driving. A couple different people, a couple different times. Mm. Now, I do know you work out in the coast range sometimes, and I can imagine those really windy roads would be fun. Uh, my my father-in-law is a big BMW guy, and when he gets a chance to drive on some like kind of curvy country roads and no one's going to judge him for it, he goes fast. Because that car yeah. like is glued to the ground, no matter how fast you're going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I. Um, one time I was going down to the country fair years, years, years ago down in Eugene. I went the wrong way on a on. I I turned left, should have turned right, and I would have been like right at the oh. country fair. Instead, I, I drove I like you twenty were miles going down the wrong way on a one way. I was like, no, 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 wrong way <laughs> down the highway. So I I went like twenty miles. I'm like, I should have been there by now realizing because we didn't have google maps on our phones and everything you're just doing it by a sheet of papers you pull mm. over on like one of those little map quests right yeah you pull up the sheet of paper and you're like oh i should have turned right and i would have been there a half hour ago so i knew the the road that i was on as fast as i've ever been in that car I have no idea how fast it, i was going because the speedometer doesn't go that fast all i know is i was going no into the straightaway yeah <laughs> where that's like 140 miles an hour isn't it uh yeah so i'm going into the straightaway with this car about halfway down a quarter mile straightaway and i'm like i'm gonna pass this guy i passed that guy with him going about a a, a quarter of that quarter mile oh my both cars just oh, shaking as i went by and and i was gone that is that's terrifying it, it was it was definitely terrifying that was when i was pro that i i might have just got that car back in it was oh. it's an 05 so so you were you were testing out the testing uh, out that i think that was probably within the first 20 miles 20 000 miles of that car and uh yeah, i was in my early 20s so yes i was hmm. definitely driving a little bit more recklessly than i probably would today hmm. but, although that doesn't sound like it stopped too much <laughs> not, uh, not at that speed i don't I, i've never I've never gone past that point of where I have no idea where I am in that car as far as speed. That was mm. the only time I've ever, mm. I don't know how fast I'm going. Are you driving and going, woo? Yeah. <laughs> you know it was. It was just the, the woo, woo, woo. Oh, God. Yeah. You're like the pig in that stupid Geico commercial they're replaying again. Yes. <laughs> yes. Wee. Yeah, exactly. Wee, 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 wee. Yeah, the fastest I've ever driven was actually pretty fast. It was, uh, it was in Pennsylvania. I was driving my 1997 Toyota Camry, right. a real, real speedster. And I, I got on, I was in, I was going from Syracuse to Penn state to visit some friends and I was on 81 South and I merged onto 80, which is in Pennsylvania. And where I, where I lived, speed limits were 65 cops kind of just let you go 80. If you were going 80, they were like, yeah, you're fine. 15 right. over you're clear. You're, you're in the clear. So I was going 80 and I was going, I merged onto Route 80 in Pennsylvania. And I kid you not, 
every single car on the highway was going so much faster than me. And I'm sitting here going, am I in the twilight zone? Like I'm going 80 miles an hour. What is happening? So smart college Mike with absolutely no idea what ramifications of his decisions are <laughs> goes, I'm going to go see how fast they're driving in my 1997 Camry. Uh, fast forward. I didn't get in trouble or anything. I didn't get pulled over. So I was fine. But every car on the highway, I'm not exaggerating with every car. There wasn't a ton. I'm not, it wasn't a super busy highway was going 100 miles an hour. Every single car. Was your car just shaking? Yeah, it was. But you know what? I never got to Penn State faster. I yeah, drove that'll get the, you there quick. I drove 100 the entire way down 80. The, the <laughs> miles just that, liquefy. Well, yeah. That was the speed of all the cars. That was the speed of traffic. I was just I was following the flow of traffic, man. You ever drive down to, to Vegas? That's the way it is. Like, all the way through Nevada, they're like, there's nothing here. Yeah. You're, you're driving 85, and you're getting passed by cops. Like, they're, they're going 110. You're like, what's going on here? But if you go 110, they pull you over and arrest you. I don't know if they will in Nevada. <laughs> like, nobody drives slow there. They're just like, there's nothing here. Got to get places. It Is takes it, me hours to get anywhere. Are there straightaways? Oh, yeah. It's just, I thought it was just, I thought it'd be like here, just curvy through. Oh, desert. no. So if you go, um, it's, it's a lot like if you went over to Eastern Oregon, if you go to Highway 97 after you get past Madras. And okay. bend and everything, it's it, what it's basically. Once you get past bend, you basically have a sixty mile straightaway. It's like the autobahn. Hmm. Like now, granted, we can't drive that way here in Oregon because hmm. we don't allow us to. But it is literally you know who got pulled over on that road straight. This guy, right? Because I was driving too close to a cop in front of me. Uh, I was not, but <laughs> I digress. <laughs> but you know, because that's just one big long yeah. straight. You can literally just put the pedal down, put it on cruise control, just. <sighs> You know, lay back, relax. Maybe don't take your hand off. Yeah, wheel, but, but. Um, you get the. So that's what it's like in Nevada. There's a few, you know, okay, we got to like curve around this little like hills real quick. Okay, straight. Basically, all the way to Klamath Falls, right? You're talking basically down to yep. Klamath Falls. It's just straight. Yep, from I, Bend all the way to Klamath Falls. I remember, I remember that because we drove to San Francisco a couple of years ago and we went to Bend for a night and then drove from there. I remember that road. It was very straight. Very straight. <laughs> and, that's and then all, it got it's high very desert. curvy. Yeah, it, there's there's curvy spots, but it's mostly straight because it's high desert and it's just nothing there. And yeah, because most roads here on this side we're following rivers. Like you go on a little highway, you're following. You're like this thing is just so curvy because you're following a river. Drive safe, folks. Don't don't listen to us and no. and then follow after our footsteps. There was stupid stupid decisions when we were in college, and if you're in college, just be a college kid, okay? Uh, but drive safe. Coming up next, let's get into the Blazers. They had a good start to their seven-game road trip with wins over Brooklyn and Philly and Nurk and Turk working out so far in the first two games. Let's overreact to two games. This is Sports Sunday on the Fan. Weekends were made for sports. This is Sports Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. Before we get into the Blazers, real quick, a couple of texts that came in on the Better You Today text line, 55305. I took a VTech prelude on the Sam Jackson 
I-205 bridge, push it over the speedometer, doing probably 150. The little car's way ahead of, in front of me. It looked like they were standing still when I passed them seconds later. Scary S, but I had the means, had to test it. Yeah, no, that, that was it. Like, when I was passing that car, it, it's like time had stood still for it. And it was frozen in time, and I was just, like, moving so fast. <laughs> and then this text says, 102 miles an hour in a Dodge Caravan. Terrifying. I responded in the text machine, a Dodge Caravan? Those are those crappy minivans. <laughs> Lucky you didn't have a governor on one of those things. Is that That's the thing that slows you down, right? That's the, it, it basically creates a max speed mm. on your car. Right. So once you hit it, it it literally is just it's like hitting a wall and you just it because i've driven in one of those things with the uh old ford aerostar hit the governor on it and it it just it made this noise like and then it kind of slows you down a mile an hour or two and then you hit that point again it's like (laughs) you just keep hitting that wall eventually you'll break that wall though right you would think he's gonna break through it right or you just break the car well Sure, but you'll break through that wall first, probably. We broke the car. (laughs) (laughs) So your Portland Trailblazers started off their seven-game road trip, which was not an easy road trip, by by the way. Lots of pretty good Eastern Conference teams on it with two wins. A 14-point win over the Brooklyn Nets and a 15-point win over the Philadelphia 76ers. Granted, the Sixers did not have Joel Embiid, but the story of the two games thus far has been Yusuf Nurkic and Ennis Cantor both having big impacts right away. And I'm not sure if this is going to be the, the rule moving forward or if it was just these matchups were good for the bigs, but the Blazers basically went back to late nineties, early thousands basketball and were just feeding the big men over and over and over and over again. And I want to say I don't have the usage rate numbers, but I want to say it was like a 70, 60% usage rate. It felt like for those two guys when they were on the floor, just dump it into the post, use them in pick and rolls, pass it to them in the roll portion of that. And it was the the Nets and Sixers couldn't stop it. It, it was just, it was kind of funny. It's it's a efficient way of playing basketball, especially like last night, the threes weren't falling. You shot five for 23 um just under seven for 32 against the nets by right the way. It, so Again, not falling so you but you're winning these games with ease well your other shots are super high percentage shots your your big men are, are shooting in the 60 70 percent range right near the rim and and they're they're making big impacts getting offensive rebounds um that's one of the things enos Cantor is really good at is getting that offensive board and, and being able to get the putback so even if your players aren't making the shots, there's somebody down there to make up for that. And even beyond that, he's doing it in minimal minutes. Um, and these big men can hit free throws. So when they get fouled down there, all of a sudden they're still making impact at the free throw line, which, as we know, if you got a big man, it's not always a good case for him being at the free throw line. And we, right now you're not worried about either one of them. Can we not talk about free throws after Syracuse's game yesterday? <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, you're 100% right. Nurk, 7 for 8. Cantor hit both his free throws in the first game. Nurk six for seven. Cantor four for five hit in the Sixers game. When they go to the line, you're not nervous about it. They're not at all. They're going to get most of them to go in. And I'm not sure how to really look at this. It's it's exciting, right? If you're a Blazer fan, this is a very exciting time because the additions that you have made 
albeit not necessarily super big impact moves, and they're things that I said on the show a couple weeks ago, they do make you better. I don't think they get you out of the first round. It's two games, so it's tough not to to overreact to it a little bit because it's exciting, but if you can do this, there's so many teams in the NBA right now that don't have good bigs that you could win a lot of games just by feeding Nurk and Cantor on the inside and just letting them go to work. I think the Sixers game would have been way different if Embiid was playing, by the way. I don't know how it would have how it would have ended. I don't know if they would have run the same game plan because Embiid historically against Nurkic, Embiid dominates him. Right. And they're they've played each other in four games. It's a two and two split in terms of who wins, but Nurkic only scores 10 points against Embiid, whereas Embiid scores like 24 points against Nurk. It would have been a very different game, I think. But if you have a matchup where you don't have a big on the other team that could stop you, and you right now have two imposing bigs in Nurk and Cantor, I don't see why you don't force it down the other team's throat a little bit until you find out that it doesn't work. Well, when traditionally in Portland, you know, when you have a guy like CJ, when you have a guy like Dame, you're traditionally a pretty good three-point shooting team. Um, and you've been an okay, you know, inside team with having a guy like Nurk, but your other big guys like to stretch a little bit more. Well, well Collins can't finish this year for some reason, and Myers only shoots. Well, I go yeah. back to what I said after that draft, wasted pick. But right. uh, I digress. Uh, with with Nurk and Canner, all of a sudden it gives you the ability to be a dominant inside team or or to be a three pointing team. So you can you have the ability to change what your scheme is based on the night. Uh, how it's going or based on the opponent that you're playing. Um, and it doesn't make you a one-dimensional squad. That's what we talked about last year when it came down to that sweep against New Orleans about you took Dame away, you took CJ away. What what was the answer? And there was no answer. And I think the answer now is, is well, we go inside and we start working in the paint. And once you start working in the paint, that loosens things out on the outside for those three-point shots to start dropping. Well, and, and in yesterday's game – Actually, in both games, the Nets and, and the Sixers game, Damian Lillard did not play well in either game. He, I don't know if it's the ankle injury. He's nursing a sprained ankle that he suffered in practice prior to the Nets game. He's not shooting the ball well. He went 5 of 21 against the Nets, 2 of 9 from 3. He went 5 of 10 yesterday against the Sixers, only taking 10 shots, by the way. He didn't play in the entire fourth quarter. Uh, and 1 of 5 from 3-point range. Yesterday, CJ struggled from 3 as well. That, to me, again, it's two games, so I'm trying really hard not to get overreactionary to this, but against the Pelicans last year, a matchup that we all thought looked good on paper for the Blazers, when Lillard was stopped, as you said, no one could do anything. In these last two games, Lillard was stopped. Lillard, and it was, he wasn't stopped necessarily. He just wasn't playing well. He wasn't shooting the ball well. He wasn't finding his his drives, and the Blazers still won handily in both games. It's not it's not the same as last year because when Lillard's not playing well, he doesn't have to pass it to Alfred Camino to shoot a three every time. He doesn't have to hope Mo Harkless is in the right mindset for that game. Nurk has taken a whole step up this season. The way we hoped he would last year. Right. Uh, and he has more double-doubles than he had last year already, and there's still 20-some games to go. So he is... And that's the most he's had in his career, by the way. Back to he, back to start the road trip. He has improved drastically this year. He had a little bit of an inconsistent patch here the last month or so where we had Nurk fever early in the season, and then he was kind of missing bunnies again. We talked about that last week. Not really sure why, but he was just throwing up kind of bad shots. And having Cantor in there, too, if you're not shooting well and you're getting double teamed, and now you have two guys 
who are going to be able to play in the pick and roll with you, who can score from the inside effectively and, and frequently, that would that would have changed that Pelican series 100%. If Nurk played as well as he did, has this year and having Cantor, I guarantee that changes that series because you don't have to pass it to inconsistent three-point shooters. Well, and what what's nice about this as well um, is – when you're when you're thinking about the addition of Cantor, what it, the the dimensions, the added dimensions, um, the fact that you you play differently, obviously, when you're behind and when you're ahead, right? And so when you're ahead, you you like taking those highest percentage shots, maybe using the the clock a little bit more. Other teams starts getting a little bit panicked, taking worse shots, and it allows you to hide things like Enos Cantor's. Um, that poor defense that he's oh, yeah. notoriously known for so far you have you have seen some of that in, exactly. the, in these two games he's not he's not useless out there i was expecting him just to be basically like a sieve and just let them go right through the, the middle of the defense he's not useless he just always jumps at the wrong time and is not exactly in the best position defensively but I think his rebounding makes up for it. He is an amazing rebounding is position great. constantly. To be able to pull down eight rebounds, 21 minutes of action last night, he's highly efficient with that, and he is highly efficient with his scoring. So I think one of the things that Portland can get excited about with him is this isn't like a spike in his performance as a player. He's not all of a sudden like, oh, he's never put up 16 points a game before. He's ne- he's never done like eight rebounds a game in this amount of time. No, this is, this is what he does. That's who he is, yeah. So... I think Portland can get a little bit excited about this because you're you're seeing him continue to do this for the Blazers, so you don't see why it would stop because this is what he's been doing his whole career, and you're seeing how it's affecting this team early in the season. Now, granted, other teams are going to be able to adjust, but what happens when you adjust? I talked about it earlier. kind of opens up that three-point line a little bit more because you're, you're focusing on that paint. Right. Allows Dame to work. You're a not going to be able to hedge on Damian Lillard on the pick and roll anymore. You're going to have to follow Nurkic right. or Cantor. Yep. You're going to have to. And then all of a sudden, Damian Lillard's got one on one again, and he can go and do his thing. So this is just good for everybody. And I can see how I honestly think this is this is a great addition. I think Cantor remembered how much Portland wanted him. Has watched Portland. They're in the playoff hunt. I think that this is and and you know, like he said it, he wanted to be here. Like, it's a good matchup right now. Yeah. As long as he fit. doesn't want to try to overtake Nurk, right? As long as he doesn't want Nurk's job, he's okay, comfortable being where he's at. I think it's a good fit. 100% good fit. Text in your thoughts to the Better You Today text line at 55305. I have some other thoughts about these first two games, and I also want to look ahead to some of the games coming up on this trip because this this road trip to me could be – could be that momentum spring for the Blazers to kind of get back up towards the three seed, hell, even the two seed, if it goes well in the West. Because if the Blazers stand a chance of getting out of the first round this year, they need to be in that two or three spot, in my opinion. So that's coming up next. But first, Jesse has Sports Center. Weekend sports with a difference. This is Sports Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. Rashad's out sick today. Mike and Jesse with you till 11 o'clock. Talking some Blazers at the moment. Text line's better you today. Text line at 55305. A couple of texts that came in. Lost Art of NBA is getting opponent in foul trouble with your bigs. 
It is true that oftentimes on the inside, they'll call a foul now. It's almost, it feels like it's guaranteed if there's contact on the inside when a big's going up to do something, they're going to call foul. And that, it, it is true. It is, uh, I guess it's a lost art. I didn't really think of it like that, but it is a good way to get your opponents to have to use some depth and use their bench players more than they want to because someone's in foul trouble. I mean, we've seen it with Nurk in the opposite view where Nurk gets into foul trouble and all of a sudden he has to sit for half the fourth quarter. And up until this point, it was a big problem because you didn't have anyone who could really fill in his shoes. Now, Cantor doesn't seem like quite as much of an issue, but it did affect the Blazers not having Nurk in their late in games. It's it's strange um, seeing more of like an old school style of basketball. You use all those things, all the art of like slicing to the rim by your guards, you know, um, with the intention of either I'm going to get a nice easy layup or I'm going to go to the rim because, you know, I'm going to get hammered. And you just don't see that as much anymore. Um, and I think that you could kind of start forcing teams to play maybe a little bit more old school with, with these guys. Well, and a lot um, of teams are building into ways where they can't play old school. I mean, the Warriors are the perfect example. And I, 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 I shudder to say this because I don't want the Blazers to play the Warriors again because they're not going to beat them. Right. But this team at the moment is being built to put up more of a fight against Golden State. Because sure, Golden State is DeMarcus Cousins, but they still play, if you've watched them, a lot the similar way. Cousins is is big on the inside, but he's still coming back from the injury. He's not fully himself yet. And I think you could take advantage of the Warriors. I mean, hell, you saw the Blazers do it the game before the All-Star break, before they had Cantor. Take advantage of the Warriors by going inside. It's just it's the biggest weakness on the team. They have a ton of great players on the outside to make up for it, but I think they're kind of building in a way that would beat a team like the Warriors. And a lot of teams right now are built like the Warriors. Well, when and when you have, like, I don't know, it, it gives you the versatility. Do you want to play uh, Cantor, Nurk at the same time? That's a daunting experience down in the paint. It makes things a little, and I... I don't know if that kinda, would work, yeah. It has in the past when you've, you know, at spurts. It's not one of those things where you play two seven-footers at the same time on a regular basis that really can't stretch the floor. But I, I think something like that, what it helps you to do is you have your guards and your and your forwards on the outside that feel a little bit more comfortable about the paint that they don't have to focus so much about um, that defense going into the paint because it's pretty much solidified with you with your two you know Nurk's a pretty good shot blocker down there um, you know and as as long Cantor as Cantor should be Cantor should be but <laughs> I, at the same at the same point he he's still a daunting seeing those two big guys down there I think it allows the 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 defense of the guards to focus a little bit more on the perimeter than than worrying about oh gosh what happens if they go into the paint something else that i'm really falling in love with and it's it's interesting for me because i've never had a team that i followed have guys like this consistently but the smack talk and the getting under the opponent's skin i want to say like 50% of the games they're playing right now an opponent is really angry at nurk or I guess Cantor now. Cantor and Simmons went after it yesterday. Nurk and Simmons went after it yesterday. And it was really, really – it's interesting to watch the side of it where you're pulling for the guys who were talking smack and getting under the other guy's skin. Because I've always said there are guys that you absolutely hate when they're on the other team. But right. if they're on your team, you love them. For me in baseball, it was always uh, – like Kevin Euclid was a great example, right? I'm a huge Yankee fan – Kevin Euclid was a third baseman for the Red Sox for a long time in the thousands and early, early tens actually became a Yankee for a year or two, but you hated Kevin Euclid hated him. 
but I guarantee Red Sox fans he was their favorite player. Guaranteed. And I think right now that is Nurkic to everybody else. Teams hate Nurkic. I remember after the Jazz game where Nurkic got under Go Bear skin and I want to say it was um, Jay Crowder skin too in that one game. I was looking at Jazz Reddit on NBA just to see. I was curious. And oh boy. They went, so glad to have someone we hate in the NBA again. They were like, that guy, man. They were just ranting and raving about Nurkic. And I was like, that's cool. He seems so likable. I know. <laughs> and then in the Warriors game, he got under everybody's skin. Uh, Collins did too. Both of them did in that game. And it was like, this is, it's almost like an extra level of strategy. Just piss off your opponent. <laughs> well, I mean, I just, and make them play worse because of it. It was brought up a couple times last year on this show where you guys wanted Dirk to be tougher. You guys wanted him to be, you know, a little bit more of a big, bad, big man. And I think he's bringing it this year. And he's it, going back to that statement before, he's showing us this year what we were hoping to see out of him last year. And not to say what he gave us last year was bad. It was fine. But this is the growth that you anticipated out of, out of him in his first year starting. But I think he's finally comfortable in that spot where he's the guy down there. Um, he, he's visibly easily looks to be part of the pillar of the franchise moving forward. As long as, you know, everybody comes together. I, I think we still have to sign him again, but um, with that said, I think he likes being here. The franchise likes being here. He's starting to acclimate into what we want him to be and what he wants to be. And that is somebody that the rest of the NBA doesn't really want anything to do with. Yeah. It's, he has a very, he has a smug attitude about it too. He's not, angry mean he just kind of smirks at you and you know he talks s you, you see it all the time he does talk but when he does things he just kind of looks at you and goes really you were gonna stop me and i think that frustrates players even more because it's not just like this big raw raw like i'm better than you thing which i think a lot of players do in the nba anyway mm -hmm. it's just uh what do you think you are who do you think you are trying to stop me right and in a league full of egos Players who who think they're the greatest thing ever go, what do you mean, who am I, right? I think Ben Simmons yesterday was a perfect example, and the back and forth was hilarious. Ben Simmons basically told him, you talk a lot of S for being ass, is what he said. <laughs> and uh, Nurk basically responded and, and, and went, you can't shoot the ball. I'm a better shooter than you. What are you talking about, right? And it was a really, really funny back and forth but it's that kind of smugness and Ben Simmons has this huge ego and he says that to Nurkic and everyone's going Nurkic isn't a bad player. What are you talking about? Right? It's funny smack talk, but you're like, that's stupid. And Nurkic comes back with a, you can't shoot. And everyone's like, <laughs> Simmons can't shoot. No, he, he can't, can't even, he doesn't even attempt threes. There was a picture floating around the internet yesterday where Simmons had the ball behind the three point line. The entirety of the Blazers defense was in the paint basically. <laughs> and he was just standing there. He didn't shoot it. And it's like, come on. He's got 11, I believe, 11 attempts on the season. How many has he hit? None. Ah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. Good He's literally the worst three-point shooter in the NBA. Well, it was fun. I, I enjoy it. It's fun to be on this side of it where you're pulling for guys right. who are kind of getting under the skin because it just, I don't know, it adds a layer to it, I think. No, because Dave's such a nice guy. Uh, CJ, honestly, I mean, he's not a guy that gets under your skin. Like, who on this team really, like, what? Uh, it's a really likable team. It is. It's a really likable team, which it goes well with Portland. You know, it, Portland really gets behind all the likability. But 
on on the court, you don't necessarily want you want that guy who goes out there and nobody likes and nobody wants to go in there and mess with that guy. And it's good to see somebody like that on the roster. One more text before we break, and there's still a little more Blazers I want to get to at the in in the next segment, but. Inside scoring has become so undervalued in today's NBA. It's a great alternative when three-point shooting is in the tank. This is something that everyone in sports, all sports, is trying to do. You're trying to find – I always take this from Moneyball from the Oakland days. You're trying to find the inefficiency in the system, a thing that is undervalued and no one is looking at but will actually help you be better. In Moneyball, it was on base percentage. It's now shifted 100 times in baseball. But the three-point shot was undervalued for a while. And now it's become the thing, so much so where bigs are dying, right? Right. And maybe, maybe this is just coincidence, but maybe it's the way Terry Stotts and the Blazers are looking at it and going, we have an, a, a huge spot right now that no one is taking advantage of, the paint with bigs. And we can make do some damage in a certain playoff series against certain teams who don't have good bigs. I mean, I, I you can write a lawful list of almost all the – the playoff teams I'm going to pull it up here in the Western conference, you know, the warriors don't have a good big, right? They, I mean, cousins is good, but he hasn't played to the full potential nuggets. Jokic is very good. Jokic they have a very good, good big yeah. thunder. Do they have a good big? Eh, Steven Adams is okay, but he can't really score. Right. And he gets into foul trouble. Rockets. Capella has not been himself this year. Jazz do have go bear spurs. No clippers. No Kings. No, Lakers, no. So they they just don't, there's not a lot of good bigs in the West right now. Those are just all the teams potentially in the playoff race. There's a couple in there that'll give you some fits. Gobert always seems to do well against Nurkic, so you don't really want to play the Jazz in that sense. But, I mean, if you go up against the Rockets or the Thunder and you've got the bigs playing like this, it gives you a better chance. Not to say you win that series because it's still tough and there's still great players in those other teams, but it gives you a chance, I think. All right, let's break. I do have a couple more thoughts about the Blazers. Still feel free to text Better You Today, text line 55305. One player didn't play last night due to injury, and I think it's time that he stops playing minutes for good. That's next on The Fan. Weekends were made for sports. This is Sports Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. A player who didn't play yesterday due to injury to me shouldn't really be playing much anymore once he gets back from that injury. And that's Evan Turner. Uh, it wasn't the most creative tease because there's really only one guy who missed a game with injury and it was Evan Turner. But to me, the way he's been playing the last couple of weeks, he's missed every shot he's taken, it feels like. Whenever he does that little spin move jumper that's on the inside, which he actually hits pretty consistently or has been earlier in the season, he's leaving it short every single time. And I think, although I think you get something when you play him in terms of leading the second unit, in terms of pretty solid on the defensive side, what you saw yesterday without him I think is better for the Blazers moving forward. And that is more Seth Curry. I, I know Curry has been a little bit inconsistent this year, but Curry is such a threat with the basketball that, that Evan Turner is not. And when you put the second unit in and you have 
now Cantor, who's a focal point, but you also have guys out there like Jake Lehman, who was great half the time, but yesterday didn't really have a great game. He was great, you know, on, on the boards and, and did some other things, but wasn't shooting the ball really well. Or maybe Rodney Hood's not playing super well that game. So far, he's had a lot of good games, Hood has, but, you know, he misses some shots. He's not the most consistent. Seth Curry is a threat with the basketball. He's instant offense when he's out there, I feel like. And I know he doesn't give you much on defense, and, I, and I'm sure you're going to lose that by taking Evan Turner out and giving Curry more minutes. But to me, it's a guy who, if he's open, you want taking that shot. I mean, he. I'm not sure if it's still the case anymore. I'll, I'll double check. But for most of the season, was leading the NBA in three-point percentage. And to me, that's that's a guy that you need to have on the court. You can't just – there were so many games where Curry didn't even step foot on the court. And you're going, this is a guy who can hit threes left and right for you. What are you doing? And uh, frankly, Evan Turner to me has kind of outstayed his welcome. And I, I, I like what he does sometimes. He infuriates me other times. And frankly, I'm not sure it's worth the, infuri- the infuriation for the couple of good games that you get from Evan Turner, where I feel like you get more consistent offense from Seth Curry. Well, with the emergence of, of Jake Lehman, whether he's going to have you a, a great night or, or, you know, a little bit of an off night, he's, he's a better option um, than Turner, uh, with the acquisition of Rodney Hood, who is actual threat from the three-point line, he has rendered um, uh, Turner obsolete. And then, and then when you go to the latest acquisition, acquisition of Cantor, and um, the ability to you know work in the paint a little bit more, have a little bit more threat in the paint, soften those three-point lines once again, rendering Turner and his inability to really take advantage of that three-point shot the way a a Curry can, uh, for example, it renders him obsolete. All of a sudden, all these moves have basically um, pointed to the writing on the wall. Turner is is obsolete in this system. He's an expiring contract next year, too. Yes. If he's not traded by the trade deadline next year, then this this franchise has a serious problem because that's – that's where the writing on the wall is pointing to at this point. Spiring contract, somebody who might be able to help another team, can't help this team anymore. Got to do something with him next year. Curry is third now in the NBA in three-point percentage. Some guy named Davis Bertans on San Antonio has 48% three-point percentage. <laughs> he said 113 of his 235 three-points attempted. Okay, so it wasn't like 20 points or 20 shots. No, uh, Joe Harris is second with the Nets for 47%, and then Seth Curry at 45.6%, just above his brother uh, Steph, although Steph has taken 400 more threes than Steph, than Seth. So who's the better three-point shooter? But either way, he's a great three-point shooter who also gives you a little bit on the inside. He's a decent passer. I just think he fits what you need right now more than Evan Turner does. That was thought number one yesterday. Thought number two is I know he's infuriating, and I know we've we've seen articles about sometimes it's it's frankly it's mental health. Mo Harkless, when he's on and cares, he changes the way this team plays. His back cuts, his defense, his ability to shoot the ball. When he's when he cares about that game, it, it, the offense the, the the starting unit looks different. It's not three guys and hoping to God that uh, Chief and, and Harkless can make some shots. It's all five guys who are uh, – it's all five guys who are giving you an impact. In yesterday's game, Harkless, six for nine, 13 points, five boards, three steals, two assists, two blocks. Aminu also played well, 15 points, six boards, two assists, and a steal. He shot 
shot the ball fairly well yesterday. When you have Harkless playing that well, it changes everything about the starting five, and it makes it a little bit less important to have consistent great games from your bench because as much as we all love Jake Lehman right now, Lehman does give you games like he does, did yesterday, 28 minutes, and although he was great on the boards and had a couple of really electric plays, a little bit of a stinker on, on offense, three for eight, just eight points, although he did have that amazing dunk yesterday where I felt like he wasn't going to ever come down. When he went up for it, it, he just kept going up towards the ceiling, and you're like, wait, Lehman can jump this high? Yes, of course Lehman can jump this high. So to me, those are my big two thoughts and takeaways from the game is Mo Harkless, when he cares, does give you something, and I think that's why I understand why uh, Terry Stotts keeps Harkless in the lineup because if you take him out, you don't get that ever because he loses that confidence. Some of the mental stuff, the negative stuff comes back. If you keep giving him the chances, even if it's less minutes than Lehman, and I do agree that Lehman should be getting more minutes consistently than Harkless, if you keep giving him those chances and that confidence, it's it's a time where he'll be able to shine eventually and give you games like he did against the Sixers. Hopefully he can make it more consistent, but I just like the fact that it's a possibility that he, he could give you that. And if it's not working, you give Lehman more minutes, and there you go. It kind of it kind of works out either way. This is such a deep team right now. It's it's wildly different than what we've seen from the last few years. There's so many guys who can make an impact day in day out. It's a good problem to have for Terry Stotts to have to pick and choose who's going to play what games and who's going to really be able to make an impact on a, on a nightly basis. So, rest of this road trip for them, by the way, you've got Cleveland tomorrow. That should be a win. Cleveland, one of the worst worst teams in in the NBA. Boston, Toronto, Charlotte, Memphis. Boston, Toronto, back-to-back games. Not back-to-back, but Wednesday and Friday next week are going to be tough, 100%. I think Boston is beatable. Toronto, not so sure you're going to win that game, now that especially that they have Marcus Saul. Kawhi Leonard, I don't know if you got a chance to see the Spurs and DeMar DeRozan's return in that game, Spurs-Raptors. Kawhi Leonard's a completely different animal, and I wonder how the Blazers will be able to do against him, but... I mean, you got you got a lot of winnable games left on this trip. Cleveland, Charlotte, Memphis, and I, I'm going to throw Boston as winnable in there as well. If you could somehow go five and two, six and one, hell, seven and zero, oh, doubtful, but seven and zero. Oh, that's what I was saying earlier. That could be such a momentum spring for you to push you back towards getting to that two or three seed in the West because you've been terrible on the road this year. Yeah, and if you can go on a seven game trip with games against four tough Eastern Conference opponents as well as a team in Memphis who always gives you fits because they're good on defense. That to me is at this point in the season, it's the perfect time to get hot again and get going. Yeah. I, I think four wins, you look at that and you go, we had a winning road trip, a long road trip. Um, that's something that you can put a feather in your cap uh, heading into um, the the postseason. It, you get five wins. All of a sudden you're starting to think we're really starting to hit it. Six wins. Uh, this this could be a game changer. Seven wins. I, this team could be thinking that that two three seeds within our reach. So that I think I think every win there's a little bit of how much more momentum it can add to this team, to the confidence as they're heading into the playoffs. And as we all know, you want to as you're heading into the playoffs, you want to be playing your best basketball because uh, that that ele- that level of basketball elevates in the postseason. And right now. Uh, currently you you don't feel like you have to really fit anything together with these new acquisitions. It all it's, just comes to be fitting together and, and you're hitting your stride at just the right time. All right, let's break coming up next hour is Antonio Brown worth the headache. 
Also, hate it or love it at 1030. Might get into some Pac-12 stuff. Might finish up our NBA playoff thoughts. Not 100% sure where we're going to start. But that's all still to come next hour here on Sports Sunday on The Fan. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.